today's, um, today we're going to be a little more contemplative than we normally do. So uh, before we do that, let's start with a game. Uh, I really like games. Uh, I like especially puzzle games and brain teaser games. The New York Times has a new game on their website called Connections, where they put up 16 words, and you're supposed to put them in, in four groups of four, and it's, it's delightful. I love that kind of thing. Um, but my favorite types of games are question games, you know, like 20 questions or I spy or stuff like that. Um, and my favorite of all the question games is Would You Rather? So let's play a little Would You Rather this morning. I have some Would You Rather questions. I'll give you the question, and you can decide what you would rather do. Uh, the first one, uh, would you rather drink tea or coffee? Who's tea? Who's in Camp Tea? Coffee? Coffee people? The coffee people have the tea people beat. All right. Uh, would you rather have a sandwich or have soup? Who's in the sandwich camp? All right. Soup people? A few of you soup people. All right. I love it. Uh, how about this? Would you rather be at the beach or up in the mountains? Who says beach? Oh, who says mountains? You can't vote with both hands, Mark. <laughs> That's something I would expect from those guys. Uh, last one, last one. Spring or fall? How many of you are spring people? Spring people? How many of you are fall people? Yeah, I'm with you guys. I love a good crisp fall day. I love that. All right, thanks for playing. Uh, would you rather with me playing some questions? Life is filled with questions. Uh, life is made up of questions. Some of them are fun and lighthearted. Some of them are daily grind kind of questions. Some of them are deep and meaningful questions. Some questions we have to ponder for a long time, and some questions we feel like we can answer right away. The Bible is filled with questions. People ask questions in the Bible all the time. Uh, people ask questions of Jesus. Jesus has asked something like 180-ish questions in the New Testament. Uh, and then Jesus actually asks questions as well. In fact, Jesus asks more questions than he is asked. He's asked about 180 questions, but he asks just over 300 questions. And, and he answers questions directly very irregularly. Only maybe a half dozen times does he give a direct answer to a question. His usual uh, mode of operation is to ask a question in return to get us to think. Uh, it turns out that God loves to ask questions. Uh, as often as I come to God with my questions, it turns out that God is actually interested in asking me some questions as well. And our, uh, one of our lectionary passages for today reminded me of that. It's in it's in 1 Kings, uh, 1 Kings chapter uh, 19, and we'll, um, let me give you a little bit of context for this. The prophet Elijah in the previous chapter has just had a massive confrontation with the prophets of Baal, and uh, Elijah has, has won over uh, in pretty miraculous fashion in this contest of wills with the prophets of Baal, and God has shown himself to be a powerful and active and alive God, and um, and that does not actually mean good things for Elijah because the king and queen, Ahab and Jezebel, uh, or Ahaz and Jezebel, um, sorry, Ahab and Jezebel, uh, are, um, they are worshipers not of God but of Baal. And so when uh, Elijah's contest ends up on his side and most of their prophets end up decimated, uh, they put out a hit on Elijah and he has to go on the run. 
And so he heads to the mountain of God, uh, a mountain called Horeb. We're not 100% sure where Horeb is or even what it is, but we think that it is another name for Mount Sinai, the mountain where God gave his commands to his people um, out in the wilderness south of Israel. And so Elijah takes off. He leaves Israel and heads to the mountain of God. And this is where we pick up the story in the lectionary. It's uh, 1 Kings 19, beginning in verse 9. At that place, Horeb, he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? There's God's question. What are you doing here? And he answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. And he said, God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? There's God's question again. And he answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall kill. Whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. What are you doing here, Elijah? That's God's question to Elijah in this moment in time, and he asks it twice. Um, General rule of thumb is that when anything shows up in the Bible more than one time in quick succession, it's important. That's something for us to to focus on. So uh, here's our question. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? It's an important question, and I think it's a question worth answering, not just for Elijah. Elijah has an answer, uh, and we'll get to that in 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 a few minutes. But I think it's a fairly important question for us as well. What are you doing here? But before we can answer it, um, there are some other questions that have to be asked and contemplated. Um, Because this question, what are you doing here? This is a question of activity. But before we can answer the question of activity, there are some questions of identity that have to be asked and answered. 
And so as I was contemplating this passage of Scripture over the last couple of weeks, it occurred to me that God asks some very, very pointed questions throughout the Scripture that feel very much like this one. What are you doing here? Except that they're not activity questions, they are identity questions. There are four of them in particular that really kind of stuck with me as I thought about and researched and took a look at all of the different questions that God asks in the Scriptures. And so um, for a few minutes, I want to go and take a look at those questions, and I want to ask those questions, and then I want to give you time to sit with them. And so um, this is where this contemplative piece comes into the sermon today. I'm, I'm actually going to be silent for a while. Uh, we'll, we'll take a look at a verse of Scripture, we'll take a look at the question that's asked, and then I'm just going to shut up. And if you've got um, a phone on you and you want to jot some notes down, or if you've got pencil and paper on you, if you've got a journal on you, if you want to write notes in the margins of your Bible, if you're okay doing that, um, we're just going to ask ourselves these questions that God asks us, and we're going to take a minute and see what answers may pop into our heads as we encounter these questions. And then after we do that, we'll come back to the question that God asks Elijah. So these, these questions of identity, there are four of them that I think are worth really looking at. And the first two of them are in the same chapter of the Bible. They're in Genesis 3. Uh, in fact, one of the very first things that God does in the Bible is ask humanity questions. Um, God has created us. God has put us in the Garden of Eden. God has given us a set of instructions for how to live there. And um, then, then uh, Adam and Eve make a, a really poor choice, and they... Um, uh, eat from the tree that God has said they should not eat from. Their eyes are opened, according to the Scriptures. They know that they are naked. They are ashamed of that, so they hide away. The next thing that happens, according to the Scripture, is that God comes walking into the garden, looking for Adam and Eve. And that's where we pick up this verse. It's Genesis 3, verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? the very first question that God asks in the scriptures. Where are you? This is not a question for God. God already knows the answer to that question. This is a question for Adam. Where are you? Uh, if we were to rephrase the question, where are you for us, uh, it is a question um, of truthfulness. It's a question of truthfulness. When we hear the question, where are you, we might as well be hearing the question, what am I hiding from myself or from God? So let's ask ourselves that question this morning. Where are you? What am I hiding from God or from myself? Take a minute and contemplate that.
where are you? Can we be truthful with God? Can we be truthful with ourselves? What is it that I have tried to hide? What is it that I am trying to hide? Where are you? It's a question that's worth asking. The next question that God asks comes just two verses later. Adam uh, pops up and says, hey, I've done this thing, and God has a second question for him in verse 11 of Genesis 3. God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And God's question is, who told you? God has given them a piece of information. I told you not to eat. Somebody else has entered into our conversation, and you have chosen to listen to that voice. Who told you? If we were to ask that question of ourselves, this question is one of attention. Which voices am I giving priority in my life? That's how we might ask that question. Who told you? Which voices am I giving my time, my attention, and my priority to? Let's, let's take a minute and contemplate that as well. Our third question of identity requires us to jump forward in the Bible to the book of Job, uh, specifically to the end of the book of Job. Job chapter 38 and 39 are some of the toughest chapters of the entire Bible, I am convinced, because in those two chapters, God asks a rapid-fire series of 77 questions of Job. I don't know about you, but if God showed up and started asking me 77 questions in a row, I'd probably just die. Job is forced to stand there while God essentially examines him, asks him a series of questions that, that ultimately Job really is incapable of answering all of those. But the first of those questions is staggeringly important. It's in uh, Job chapter 38, verse 2, and God speaks to Job. This is the first of the questions. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge. Who is this is the next question that we have to wrestle with uh, on our, our journey of identity. This question, who is this? This is a question of humility. This is a question for us of humility. We might, we might decide to hear this question as God uh, asking us, how am I putting myself in his place? It's a question worth considering. 
Who is this? How am I putting myself in the place of God? In what ways and in what spaces um, am I doing that in my life? Let's take a minute and, and think through that. Where are you? Who told you? Who is this? That's three out of four. For the last of our four questions of identity, we need to jump to the New Testament. Uh, I think that it is very interesting that in John's version of the gospel, the very first thing that Jesus says is a question. John's gospel, um, after the, the preamble, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, after all of that, we are introduced to Jesus um, and a couple of people who come up and are following along behind him on the road, and Jesus turns to them and gives them a question. It's in John chapter 1, verse 38. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, this is the first thing Jesus says in the gospel, what are you looking for? Man, is that a loaded question. What are you looking for? This is a question uh, we might uh, understand of purpose. And so as we consider the question, what are you looking for, we might ask ourselves, where am I finding purpose and meaning? Where am I finding purpose and meaning in my life right now? Let's take a minute and consider that.
I don't know about you, but a minute of silence is sometimes uncomfortable for me. Um, so I don't know if that was uncomfortable for you. If it was, um, I'm not particularly sorry about that because it really is going to take us more than a minute, I think, to wrestle with those questions if we're being honest. And so um, I, I want to invite you throughout this week to, to come back to these questions. Uh, maybe, maybe take one a day um, and wrestle throughout the day with, with these questions that God has that, that he asks of us, um, these questions that help us to understand and shape our identity. After we have wrestled with these questions, after we have taken a look at who we are, um, then it, it, it becomes possible for us to, to begin asking ourselves what we're doing, which is the question that started all of this, right? This is the question that God asked Elijah um, in the cave and at the mouth of the cave twice, Right? And so we go back to, to 1 Kings 19, uh, and in verse 9, which is the first time that God asked the question, uh, we find uh, these words. Uh, then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Um, and, and I want to pause and, and just dive into the text just for a second. Um, Elijah's answer to God's question is exactly the same both times. God asks the same question. Elijah gives the same answer. Um, and that is, honestly, that's very weird to me. Uh, when, my, when I was growing up, if my mother asked me a question and I answered and she didn't like the answer, she would ask the exact same question again, and that was my cue that I had gotten the answer wrong. Does anybody else have similar, does that happen? Does that happen, teens? Do you get that? Your parents ask you the same question over and over until you get the answer right? All right. Uh, that, that happened to me until I would, would give a, a correct answer. Jo, uh, God gives his question twice. Jo, or, um, Elijah, so many characters in the sermon. Uh, Elijah gives the exact same answer twice. And Elijah's answer is essentially, I'm giving up. That is essentially Elijah's answer. God says, what are you doing here? And Elijah says, there's nothing for me out there. I have tried. I have been very zealous for God. But your people have done all of these terrible things. And now they're beginning to treat me badly. And I can see where this is heading. This is going to cost me my life. I give up. What are you doing here, Elijah? The answer to that question, honestly, for Elijah is I'm hiding. I'm hiding out in this cave. I've come to the mountain of God so that you can protect me. And, and, and a lot of times, that's what I want. I just want. I just want to hide away with God and let it be him and me and be protected. Because there's stuff in my life that I don't want to deal with. And there's stuff in the world that is hard. And there are things that I don't have answers to, and I really feel like I should. And so sometimes I feel like the only thing I can do is run away and give up. What are you doing here? 
God's answer, however, is not that this is okay. Because uh, as Elijah says, I am running away and giving up, God answers him back and says, no, you're not. What does he say? He says, go and return on your way. You're not done yet, Elijah. There's more to do. That's, that's a hard thing to hear sometimes. That's a hard thing to hear, that, to say you can't hide away. There's more that has to be done. Go and return. You have to appoint this person, and you have to appoint this person, and you have to appoint this person, and there's, there's redemptive work to be done. And others will carry on after you. There's more to do. And as it turns out, you're not alone. See, I have 7,000 others, thousands of others. The good news for us is that when God asks us questions, we do not have to see these questions as accusatory. I don't know about you, but the four questions, the five questions that, that God has asked today um, can be asked in a way that sounds very accusatory. And perhaps when you read them on, script, on the pages of Scripture, you read them in your mind in such a way that it sounds like God is very, very angry. Where are you? Who told you? Who is this? We can read them that way. But we don't have to. We don't have to read the questions of God with accusation and with anger. We can choose to read them with invitation. Where are you? It's okay to come out. Who told you? It's okay to be honest. Who is this? It's time to discover who you really are. We can choose to read God's questions in those ways. We can choose to see the questions of God as loving invitations for us to come to him and to wrestle with our identity and our activity alongside our God. We can see these questions, read these questions, contemplate these questions, and wrestle with these questions knowing that we're not alone in that that God has not abandoned us in the midst of these questions, but that God is with us and loves us. How would you answer these questions? How would you answer these questions? I really do want to encourage you to take time this week to wrestle with these questions, maybe one on Monday, one on Tuesday. In fact, we're going to use our social media uh, feeds this week in, in the church to pose these questions. So if you follow us on Facebook or on Instagram, you'll see these questions each day this week. And, and all leading to the last of these questions, what are you doing here? Which is really a two-part question. What are you doing? And what are you doing here? We might choose to ask these questions like this. What are you doing? How am I being obedient? What are you doing here? How am I on mission with this community in this space, in this place, and in this time? What are you doing? There are many people in this church who are doing a lot of stuff. I, I, I hear 
what you're up to. I read about it on Facebook. I hear it through the grapevine. You tell people about it at church on Sunday. And some of the stuff that we are doing in our communities is just marvelous. And I could not be more proud to be a part of a church like that. But it's still worth asking the question, what am I doing? Are there more ways that I could be obedient? Or perhaps have I filled my life up with activity that sounds really good, but is not obedience? That can happen. It's worth wrestling with the question, what are we doing? And it's worth wrestling with the question of what are we doing here? God has planted us in a particular place. We occupy this corner of Macmillan and Rose right across the street from campus. What are we doing here as students pass us by, going back and forth from home and work and restaurants to school and classes and papers and tests? What are we doing here? How will we share the love of God from this place to the community around us? Meg already mentioned this morning that there are several opportunities uh, where you can be involved in doing that, and those are just a couple of things. They're very small, simple things. Come and hang out with an ice cream truck. You get ice cream. It's great. Come, come and hang out uh, next Sunday and, and prayer walk the campus with me. Wear, wear shoes you can walk in. We're going to take off after church next Sunday, whoever wants to. We're going to have some self-guided prayer cards. We're just going to head over to campus for about an hour and just pray. Uh, if, you, if you feel like you can't do that, we're going to set up a lemonade and fruit stand right outside the door. Stay here. Meet some people. Enjoy that time. There's opportunities. Uh, don't leave without um, contemplating where you can be involved. Check the sign-up sheets in the back corner. I want to encourage you to do that. What are we doing? And what are we doing here? There are questions worth asking and answering. Uh, we have questions in our lives. Turns out, God does too. And I believe that in our answers to God's questions, we find the answers to our own deepest questions as well. So, may we wrestle with God's questions. May we know, as we do, who we are. And as we discover who we are, may we also discover what he's called us to do in our world and right here on the corner of Macmillan and Rose. We want to uh, move from our time in the Word to time around the table. Uh, we come every week to the table because Jesus' invitation to us is constant and consistent because his love for us is constant and consistent. We come to the table and, um, and we contemplate these things that we've been talking about. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that, that we should not come without examining ourselves. I, I hope that you've been able to do that with me this morning. I hope that, that you've been able to spend some time examining who you are and where you're at with God. It ought to happen every time we come to the table. So um, we do that this morning. Uh, in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come and take a piece of bread and take a cup of juice and then take them back to your seats. Uh, when we've all been served, we'll take those things together um, in unity. Before we do that, um, we come every week and we acknowledge that we are not perfect people. Uh, as we contemplate those questions, what am I hiding? Where have I 
put myself in the place of God? What are my priorities? What voices am I listening to? We realize that, that the answers to those questions are sometimes not what they ought to be. And so we come before the table to confession, which is not intended to make us feel um, an overwhelming burden of guilt, but it is intended for us to be real about who we are and about how much farther we have to go. So as we come to the table, we also come to confession. And if you are able and willing today, I want to invite you to stand with me and head into a time of confession. The words will be up on the wall behind me. John, could you put that confession up for us, please? And would you please, if you're willing, stand with me as we enter into a time of confession together before the communion. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name.